You've just entered a safe, relaxed, and open forum where you can allow your imagination to take you places you normally dare not go. Welcome to The Fourth Dimension with Toby C., where we discuss evil resistance in the early efforts of sobriety. Here's Toby. I'm back. It's Toby. Here today with Lisa L. Hey, Lisa. Morning. You ready to talk about God? I am. You ready to talk about the antithesis of God? Yes. <laughs> hey, that's the theme of our show today. If you're just joining us for the first time, I'm here with Lisa L. I'm Toby C. We're going to be talking about recovery, but a very interesting part of recovery. We're going to be talking about evil resistance that so many people experience in early recovery. And um, nobody's immune to, uh, to the evil one especially when we open ourselves up to uh, his influence by indulging in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the indulgences of self, self-indulgences, they call it. You know, the devil, the most dangerous devil is the devil that you cannot see. And quite often when we come into recovery, we are mired in something called denial. Can you relate to denial, Lisa? Have you ever, have you ever experienced denial in recovery? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. All right. Before we get into uh, mashing out some ghost stories with Lisa, give us a quick little uh, background, Lisa, what you're all about. You're from the San Diego area originally. and um, Yes, I grew up in, I was born and raised in San Diego, mm. California in North County. And um, went to, I was raised in private Christian schools, a lot of uh, going to church, Bible study. <clears throat> I enjoyed it. It, it was a good way of life, and I did not get involved with alcohol until my late until my late 30s. Yeah, beautiful. So you're a late bloomer. Very. It's all right. That's all right. <laughs> all right. What we're going to be doing today is I think the most important um, subject in recovery is overcoming something called denial. And when you first came into recovery, Lisa, tell us about your, your experiences in recovery and, and um, what happened when you first started to get sober and get this monkey off your back in recovery. Do you remember your first experiences? Was it in a hospital? Was it in a rehab? Was it in group therapy? Was it in meetings? Describe describe early recovery without breathing too heavily. Sorry. <laughs> Go for it. <clears throat> well, I um, for me, early recovery meant it was almost kind of like a big sigh of relief and like I was immediately on vacation from responsibility. And I was separated from my home and my children and my husband so um, I literally had broken bones, and but there was a a feeling of complete surrender to the fact that I just I couldn't make everything work. I couldn't take care of myself and my emotional needs. I couldn't be a good mother. I couldn't provide for myself financially, and I was completely dependent on. Um, you know, I, I didn't even feel I had the right to ask for help or um, for money 
because I was dependent on someone else. So going home and living with my parents, I, I sort of felt like, well, this is it. The jig is up. Everyone knows I, knows I drink and party and a lot, a lot of, yeah, a lot yeah. of humility. Yeah. So, so many of us, we have humbling experiences. We end up at home with our parents sometimes, or we hit the bottom financially or, or emotionally. Um, all right, so you're at home. You're trying to get sober. You're maybe making some progress. Were you going to meetings? Were you going to group therapy? I was going to meetings um, at church in North County. I went on, their meetings were Monday and Wednesday. Yeah. And you started to make some progress, didn't you? Did you start to put together some time in, in early recovery? Yeah. Yes. Okay. And then something happened. As soon as you started making some progress, something happened like it does to so many of us. And I had the advantage of, of discussing this previously with Lisa. So I kind of have a chance to guide the hurt a little bit. Was this something that happened? Was it, were you delivered into the lap of luxury and comfort? Were you taken from pain and discomfort and all of a sudden put into a very comfortable environment that perhaps helped you forget about and make distant the pain that brought you into recovery in the first place? What do you think, Lisa? Yes, I was um, <clears throat> I was able to spend time at the ocean just with someone uh, loaned me their home. And I remember distinctly saying, well, I don't know about this, but the, the conditions were you can stay here as long as you don't drink, don't smoke, and don't bring anyone here. And I thought, I can do that. And they gave me the reflections book because I couldn't process more than just that one or two pages a day and I would sit for hours looking at the ocean reading that book and were you with others or were you alone no I was able to be alone now excuse me I was able to be alone is being alone really a blessing Lisa or is being alone and isolating perhaps something detrimental to one's recovery I don't know about you, Lisa, but when I came into recovery, I was told that uh, there's three parts of the 12-step triangle, and one of them is unity. You know, did this, did, this, did this wonderful, luxurious setting perhaps isolate you to some degree from others and the fellowship? What do you think, Lisa? No, because I didn't stay there full time. Um, three or four miles away was my parents' home. And so I would be able to go down to my beach house and relax and recuperate. And I was encouraged by the owner to get my butt to meetings and start working and gotcha. doing the steps and getting a sponsor. Good. By the way, if you're just joining us, I'm here at Lisa L. I'm Toby C. The name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension. And we're talking about evil resistance that so many of us experience in early recovery, just when we least expect it. And sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's, it's, it's very powerful and, uh, and blatant. But um, I think where we're going today with Lisa are going to be some of the subtle 
things that discourage us and, res- and, and cause this resistance to so many of us, you know, recovering and finally, you know, getting to the other side, finally stepping ashore, so to speak. You know, something wants to keep us in the drink and keep us wet so we can't get dry and step ashore. You know what I'm talking about? And that's where we're going with this. And, you know, Lisa, you had some other challenges. You know, you were a single mother of two. You had a child who, uh, who had some, some medical difficulties. I mean, things were really stacked up against you personally. Tell us about that a little bit. Hmm. Well, I became a parent late in life, 31 and 36. I have a son with autism and then a daughter is the complete opposite. Um, I never received any compensation or child support. So this literally meant starting from scratch, but not in my 20s, but in my late 30s. And so it occurred to me that failure was not an option. I was not going to let them down. That in itself was a big mistake because I placed that above my sobriety in survival mode. Sure. And I mean, who doesn't? I mean, we're all born survivalists and and certainly being distracted with with our earthly needs and desires and obsessions can certainly keep us from 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 seeing the light of reason that uh, um, that a higher power can shed upon us, and and we 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 alienate ourselves from from that gift when we're distracted. Lisa, it sounds to me like you had a lot of distractions in early recovery, and uh, absolutely. And you know, by the way, a lot of people who recover are the people who who hit the bottom. And there's nothing down there at the bottom. There's nothing more to distract us. And by the way, I got to tell you, I, I sponsor people, and I know that you do too, Lisa. And, and the best time to sponsor a person is when they're not distracted. You know, the, the big book of AA tells us to catch them when they're jittery. Catch them when they come in off of a spree. Catch them during a lucid interval. The worst part about working with people who, who start to recover in, in, in AA or any other recovery program is they get distracted. And you had a lot of distractions right from the get-go, didn't you, Lisa? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where was I going to live? How was I going to live? How was I going to get around? What schools would my children be in? <clears throat> you weren't just looking out for your own well-being. You had children. Mm-hmm. Having to live in my car. That's a big distraction. But you got better, didn't you? Yes, because people helped me. But it wasn't easy, was it? Oh, my God, no. And we want to talk about the oh, my God, no moments, okay? Oh, my God, no means that God wasn't there. And if God wasn't there, it means something evil and sinister and negative was there. What do you think, Lisa? A lot of fear. Do you know? A lot of fear. So... And there it is. I mean, I can't think of a, of a pure battle cry than somebody to say that they were in a lot of fear. And there was the resistance in early recovery. Because recovery is all about finding a faith, a faith that works. And faith, of course, is the antithesis of fear. You know, something wants to keep us from faith. They want to keep us where? In fear. 
So do you think you'll be able to, in the next few segments, mash out a couple of uh, subtle or not-so-subtle ghost stories and examples of the things, Lisa, that kept you from, from growing in faith and instead kept you mired in fear? Do you remember that? Of course you do. And again, by the way, if denial is so powerful that it keeps some of us from getting sober, trust me, denial is so powerful that it keeps many of us from remembering these painful experiences. Um, Many of us in AA and other programs, we have a broken thinker. Our memory is shot. Some of us can't, we have a blind spot, a a mental blank spot that keeps us from remembering the painful experience of that last binge, that last drunk, that last spree. It is denial. But what we're going to be be doing now is slowly we're going to be taking Lisa out of the ether of denial into the darkness, the place she thought she'd never have to go and revisit again. But we're going to because it's going to be immensely helpful to you newcomers out there trying to figure out why you can't get this thing. There's something else working behind the scenes. It's not his fault, her fault, its fault. It's the antithesis of God. And we're going to be right back with Lisa L. on Toby C., The Fourth Dimension. Be right back. imagination to take us places we might be afraid to go. You are entering the fourth dimension with Toby C. There is no such thing as coincidences. Here's Toby. Okay, back mashing out some ghost stories with Lisa L. Lisa. So, uh, Lisa, when you were running and gunning out there, were you, um, were you having fun? Maybe. Yes. Lisa, when you were running and gunning out there, was there any risky behavior involved? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Drinking and driving. Right. So let me ask you this, Lisa. When you first started to get sober and you started to get traction, did you slip back into this type of selfish, risky behavior? What do you think, you know? And um and who who tempted you with this this type of risky behavior? And and was it was it perilous to your spiritual condition? Let's talk about it. What do you think? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely, because I was so deeply in love with the man that I had the affair with and went outside of my marriage for. And um I ended up moving from San Diego to the desert to be with this person, but not without a lot of struggles in between and literally living in one room with my kids and my parents who were going through a divorce. And it was just so much chaos for everyone to lose our homes, and to lose any financial help and 
suddenly be responsible for my life, their life. So I, I thought of my boyfriend as a person to have fun with, and he was supportive of my getting sober. As Would you say that, uh, again, I, I happen to know your history, and uh, you really got this thing from the beginning as far as getting control of alcohol abuse, but it's the other things that, that were a little tricky, and what, what perhaps you were trying to deal with was emotional relapse. And, uh, you know, for some of us, the drunk starts long before the first drink. And, um, and you're talking about emotional relapse. Quite often, a lot of us engage in risky behavior to overcome our emotions or our emotions feeling less than. We want to change our emotions, okay? So we act out. And quite often, these actions are risky, they're risky to us, they're risky to others, they're risky to our children, they're risky to our finances, our health, whatever, right? But it was him, wasn't it? He was the temptation, wasn't he? Absolutely. And um, let me ask you this. Is it possible, Lisa, and here we go, gang, is it possible that the devil, the antithesis of God, the evil one, used this man as a tool to tempt you. What do you think? To be sure. It was. It was temptation, wasn't it? And, um... I just recently gave up the relationship that I had with him because it's just not healthy. And one of my worst character defects is that I will never give up. I don't give up. If I want something, I don't give up. So this went on for years, didn't it? Almost 30 years. Almost 30 years. My daughter years. was one year old when we met. She's 31 now. There it is, gang. You heard it firsthand from Lisa. This, these temptations, these maladies just never go away. 30 years. You know, and this evil resistance was there in the very beginning. And if you're stubborn like me and Lisa, we don't let go of this stuff. We hang on to it. We're going to... We're going to work it until we change it, and we're, or, and we're going to die trying, right? Was that you? And, uh, Absolutely. And, and, by, and, and by the way, again, Lisa, what you're talking about is denial. You knew there was something defective in this relationship, and you were willing to accept the, uh, the shortcomings, and it was emotionally hurtful, wasn't it? And, uh, Very much so. Yeah. So, t- so, so, describe it again. Describe the emotional hurt, the emotional drunk. I always felt that um, I had difficulty expressing what I wanted, setting any kind of a boundary. I didn't feel worthy of having um, a complete and loving relationship where I received what I needed, because. I placed my agenda, which is getting that person, ahead of what I needed. So I gave away a part of myself. So you know what you're describing, Lisa. Did you make this man your higher power? Absolutely. There it is. And there it is, gang. You know, as soon as, deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. But God, you know, and a God of our understanding, the God that's going to save us from this living hell, may be distracted and obscured 
by pomp and ego, by calamity and turmoil, and by worship of other things and other people. There it is. What a ghost story, man. You know, subtle but powerful. When we come back with Lisa L., we're going to go into a little bit more depth about emotional relapse, the risky behavior that, 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 that is involved in emotional relapse, and the denial and the comfort that we all seek for our, our physical well-being and our emotional well-being. And what about our spiritual well-being? Stand by. We're going to be talking about that on The Fourth Dimension with Toby C. with Lisa L. Making sense out of nonsense. Making you as curious and uncomfortable as possible with the truth. You've landed in the fourth dimension with Toby C. Ghost stories on the fourth dimension with Lisa taking a deep breath. Hey, by the way, you know, if you're just joining us for this show, you're about midway through here. And uh, this show is about the devil. This show is about evil. It's about the evil one. And let's make, let's make that very clear because whoever denies the existence of the devil is a heretic. And I want to be real clear about that. The devil is not at the center of faith, but his figure is indispensable to understanding the mysteries of faith. And there's something in recovery and in this world we live in that does not want us to acknowledge and be aware of the devil. I often say, and I've heard it, and I believe it, and I've experienced it, that the biggest trick the devil plays on the world is getting everybody to believe he does not exist. But he does exist. You know, and I'll tell you, one of the things that pissed me off more than ever is, uh, is when we pray out with the Lord's Prayer, okay? And that's one of the common prayers in AA. And, and there's a few people that when we're praying out, they say, and keep us from temptation and deliver us from ego, let me tell you, man, ego is human, okay? Evil is spiritual, okay? And it's, and it's awful. And, and, and we're talking about things not human. People who come into AA and, and other forms of recovery have placed themselves beyond human aid, okay? They've placed themselves beyond their ego. They've placed themselves in the hands of Satan, not in the bosom of Abraham, and I want to be clear about that, you know, where the, the existence of the devil is not to be demonstrated. We're not here to give you a bunch of examples of the devil. It's to be believed and to be aware of the devil. Because I'm telling you, if the figure of the devil is missing, then one also loses sight of God himself, period. And it makes the, the concept of God abstract when the, when the subject of the devil and the evil one is missing. That's all we're trying to do here is is illuminate evil resistance and early recovery. And sometimes it's subtle. And probably one of the most subtle forms of resistance is when he keeps showing up. <laughs> right, Lisa? He kept showing up, didn't he? 
What happened? Describe it. Describe the fight. This is early recovery. I mean, we know this this dance lasted 30 years, man, but in the very beginning, it was messing with you, wasn't it? Describe it. <clears throat> there was an attraction that I had never had for another person. And I was thinking about it recently. I'm sure that it doesn't bother him at all that I'm not in his life anymore because we slowly grew apart. But I have never had a, a relationship with a man where he had the power over me. Ah, you're the boss, usually? Of course, Calvin. <laughs> okay. Toby. All right. Yeah, usually I was. And in this situation, I I was so taken with him that he was he was my higher power. He was everything I had ever wanted. And um You were ready to surrender and not run the show anymore. You were ready to surrender your will over to this guy. There it is. Over and over and over. And there it is, you know, and and so maybe this wasn't a sudden moment of resistance. This sounds like this has been a long burn, a real long burn. And uh, you know what, though, Lisa? You're sober. You help women. You know, you've, you've got a, a fairly good life. Are we supposed to go back and say, could it, could it have been better? Maybe, maybe not. But what do you think? I have no but, regrets, though. I really don't, because those were conscious decisions that I made based on my desire. And wanting him in my life was what I truly thought at the time was the best for me. And there were many, many high points. Many. There you go. Life is full of highs and lows. And I don't think God wants us to go through this life alone. I think... Um, God wants us to have companionship. And sometimes you just got to you got to make the best of what's standing right next to you. And um and it seems like it worked for you. Yes. All right. Now, I want you to go back here, Lisa. Again, in the very beginning, the very first few months, all right? Go back. Do you remember those? Do you remember those those meetings and your and you're coming in, you know. Did you get this thing right from the get-go where you struck sober? Or or were there a couple of bumps in the road in the very beginning where you had some uncertainty and you had some fears and you just couldn't seem to quite uh, wrap your head around this thing? In the very beginning, do you remember that, Lisa? <clears throat> Absolutely. Un unfortunately, I have an incredible memory, almost photographic memory, so things play in my head. Beautiful. Start playing. Well, um, I still remember what I wore to the first meeting, the people in the meeting, a very small meeting in North County, actually one of the oldest meetings in San Diego. And um, the people were professional people, well-educated, a lot of banter, a lot of joking with each other. And I guess I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to go hang out with a bunch of degenerate winos. I didn't know what to expect, and it was the exact opposite of what I thought I was walking into. Okay. 
So obviously, uh, alcoholism and drug abuse is a disease of perception. You walked into this and you could not identify with these people, these miscreants, okay? And there was the resistance. But after a while, you kept coming back, didn't you? And, and slowly, slowly you started to identify with these people, did you not? And, and start to assimilate. What do you think? I mean, it's what I'm hearing. Well, I knew the common thread was that we drank and got in trouble. And the whole purpose of the program was to show us life skills and um, to have better thinking habits and attitude habits and uh, put, put things back on track. And they had their lives on track and I didn't. Everyone there had a vehicle. I did not. Did you learn any bad habits in early recovery? Did you take up chain smoking or drinking massive amounts of coffee or a donut queen? I mean, do you remember what was going on? <clears throat> I did. My first commitment was uh, cleaning ashtrays. And I remember making the little triangle in the sand, going home and telling my parents <laughs> that I had a commitment. And my mother was rolling her eyes and my father was like, leave her alone. She seems happy. And then I was coffee person then I was cake lady and it was the highlight of my week you know what you're describing Lisa is you're describing exercises in recovery to get out of one's self okay it's called practicing selflessness how interesting you went home and and described this these early acts of selflessness to your parents and all they could do was roll their eyes and say ah this is a phase she's going through let me tell you, that, that little subtle interaction with your parents and them rejecting your recovery is a form of evil resistance. They weren't there to, to support you. They were there to knock you in their own little way. Probably because they were in fear you were doing something that they didn't understand. And quite often when people are around another person who's doing something they don't understand, they want to reject it because they're in fear. Your evil resistance at home was fueled by, say it, fear. Maybe your evil resistance with your companion in early recovery was fueled by, say it, fear. Fear. What do you think, Lisa? Of course, because I didn't want to lose that person that I had risked everything for. My morals, my integrity, my self-esteem, just all went right out the window. How interesting. See, in recovery, one of the first fruits of recovery is this sense of belonging, this sense of unity. And I think the ultimate uh, objective is for us to transcend and, and outgrow this fear and to move into faith. And as we move into faith and early recovery, the resistance of fear follows us. And it's other people, quite often, who bring this bad vibration, this fear. And it's this bad vibration and it's this fear that's distracting to us focusing on our primary purpose, which is what? To stay sober so we can help another alcoholic achieve sobriety. There was your fear. What else scared you or, or made you concerned in early recovery? We're talking about fear now. 
That was the resistance. Do you remember, Lisa? Were there other things that, that you were fearful about? How about your children's well-being? You had a child who had a terrible, terrible medical uh, event. You know, I mean, there was a... By the way, gang, who doesn't have things to fear? We live in, in, a, in a strange world. And there's always things. The hits keep coming, okay? I get it. But right now we're talking about those first few precious months of recovery with Lisa and her real fears. And they weren't unfounded. They were real. Describe it, Lisa. <clears throat> I'm used to being very self-sufficient and capable. And when all of this happened, I was no longer able to call all the shots. And I had to ask people for help, which for me is a sign of weakness. Asking for anything is a sign of weakness. In my family growing up, everything is about self-sufficiency, about being capable, about having the answers, about doing it perfect every time, better than anyone else. Um, being average does not fly in my family. And now suddenly I'm reduced to, what the heck am I going to do next? So I started to learn the benefit of asking for help and take direction, which... Um, was, was a slippery slope for me. I knew what to expect when I was in charge and, you know, had a few drinks in me. And I'm like, but doing all this sober was just overwhelming. What if I did it wrong? What if I hurt Philip or Amy? Mm -hmm. And my son is a source of great pain for me. Mm -hmm. Um, because of his health concerns, because of his autism. Yeah. yeah. He struggles, and even now, they were three and seven when I came in. Yeah. Now they're 34 and 30. Yeah. I wonder what will become of him when I'm gone. There you go. There you go. And what, we're going to break here, and we're going to come back for our fourth and final segment of the hour. We're going to be talking about how self-reliance failed us utterly, how having faith in a power greater than ourselves can really bring us to that, 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 that moment of serenity, that there's something always human in us and around us that, that want to keep us from the promised land. Amen. We're going to wrap things up here with Lisa L. and Toby C., the fourth dimension, talking about evil resistance and early recovery. Be right back for our fourth and final segment. testimonies about the evil influences interfering in our most desperate and hopeful moments in life. Here's Toby. Wrapping up an hour with Lisa L. on the fourth dimension talking about evil resistance during early recovery. And by the way, I want to make it real clear. We're not here to talk about um, Adam and Eve. We're not here to talk about the Garden of Eden. 
We're not here to talk about the tree of uh, forbidden fruit of wisdom. We're here to talk about the snake, okay? We want to talk about the snake. We want to talk about the evil one that's out there trying to, to take us down emotionally and physically and spiritually. Lisa, finish your pain, baby. Finish your pain for us. Well, <clears throat> probably um, the most healing thing about coming here was, and and the circumstances were that it kept me really busy in in a actually working for a living. Not that I didn't work for a living before, but um, this was different. I uh, I had people dependent on me and. I wanted to be a good example for them. And the most important thing that I wanted to achieve was for them to know that they were loved no matter what. And for us to keep an open dialogue, I wanted to be the safe harbor. And I waited so long to become a mother that um, I thought of it as a privilege. It wasn't a burden. They were never a burden. They didn't ask to be here. I wanted them to be here. And um, then over the years, of course, I thought, well, you know, I'm in the program. This will really, this will really help them. Well, of course, it didn't help them. You know, they have that physical makeup of being the addictive behavior. What I'm just now recently learning and coming out of the fog of self-doubt and fear is that being afraid doesn't accomplish anything. And I don't need to be worried about their outcome and their lives. They're grown adults. I've given them the tools to live a decent life. I'm going to be there for as long as I possibly can. And when I'm not, I'm not. And that's the bottom line. Because I've spent too much of my life. I've always been someone's servant. And now I have to just take care of myself. So that's been the freeing part and... I just try not to stress too much. I did have a heart attack a few years ago. And um, I just don't have the energy to be the worry ward or to be combative or to try and get my way. I try to live in, all right, this is what's going on for now. I'm going to roll with it. You know, I'm a child of the 60s. I'm not going to fight everything. All right. So what Lisa's talking about <laughs> is uh, is trying to move toward what God's will is and to stay out of our will. And, um, and so many of us alcoholics and drug addicts are mired in something called self-will. Self-will run riot. And quite, and quite often, the self-will run riot is taking care of other people, taking care of our companion, taking care of our children, taking care of our babies. And I happen to know Lisa works with a lot of other women. And I've heard sponsees, Lisa, and maybe you've heard sponsees referred to as babies. Have you? And, and, and that's it, you know. When a lot of us, when we come into recovery, we let go of our earthly babies and we turn them over to God and God's care. and We have faith that everything's going to work out and we instead turn our attention to spiritual babies, people in recovery who are trying to get better. 
What do you think, Lisa? Are you a mama of spiritual babies in recovery? Yes, I am. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. And and, and 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 as a result, do you obsess and worry less about your other babies who are well into their 30s now? <clears throat> yes, that's, uh, <laughs> that's spot on. I absolutely do. And by the way, when you... It's not a bad thing. And by the way, when you stop paying attention to your spiritual babies in recovery, do you risk slipping back into obsessing and worrying about your human babies, including yourself? We're the biggest baby of all, aren't we? I mean, we love to take care of ourselves. I don't know. You, Toby does for sure. What do you think, Lisa? I have to agree. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm so sorry after 30 years you kind of wrapped it up with your companion who you found in early recovery. But, you know, that's just part of the, that's just part of the process. It's not going to take, take you out. It's just, it's just no. life, isn't it? Yes. Hey, let me ask you it this. It was mutual. Though. Okay. And you guys had a lot of starts and stops in early recovery you know, with, this, with this person. Do you think you could have handled the breakup that you just experienced now with this man during maybe your first year of recovery, this, this, this complete end and, and, uh, and dissolution? What do you think? No. Because you were maybe a little bit more, instead of in faith at that time, you were more in fear? What do you think? Yes, because I just thought this person, I thought this person, God, this just sounds so stupid, would complete me. Like I couldn't be a whole person unless I had my other half. There it is. There it is. And that's control. That's taking control of the situation. Sometimes, you know, you got to get up and move your feet if you want to, if you want to keep your faith active. But it's a fine line between keeping our faith active and taking back our control, isn't it? And there's the there's the dance. You know, the devil is a subtle foe, cunning, baffling, and powerful. It's not real blatant and, and spectacular and overt, this resistance. Sometimes it's something as simple and as subtle as fear versus faith. Something as subtle as self-reliance versus over-dependence on another person. You know, finding that sweet spot. Did you find that sweet spot finally, Lisa? Did you find that balance in your life? Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the breathing exercises that I do that helps calm me a lot is, you know, deep breath in and say, <clears throat> breathe in the faith, and then exhale, breathe out the fear. Beautiful. Did you hear that? Breathe in the faith, breathe out the fear. Breathe in the faith, breathe out the fear. I love it. You know, when we go to group and we share our testimony, we're breathing in the faith, baby, and we're barking out a message, a message of hope and love and recovery. Lisa, thank you so much for joining Toby on the fourth dimension. Thank you for asking me. It was great. And uh, hey, if you're listening to us, please come back and listen to another ghost story. We got them all day long, man. Stay away from the evil one. Stay close to recovery. And stay serene. God bless. Take care until then. Over and out.